The world was shocked on April 12th, 1961 by a message. Not about somebody coming down from above, but about one of us going up. Yuri Gagarin, the Russian cosmonaut, was launched on a Rostov rocket out of Russia, 187 miles above the Earth's surface, and became the first person to orbit the Earth, about a two-hour trip around the world. When he returned, it was reported that he said, I went up into space, and I looked around for God, and I did not see him there. Now, of course, Gagarin actually never said those words. He was an Orthodox Christian. But they were put in his mouth by the then premier of the USSR, Nikita Khrushchev, giving a speech in front of the Communist Central Party Congress. I went up into space. I looked around to see God, and he was not there, hoping that by those words he could confirm the atheism that was so central to their project. And the skepticism which he hoped to nourish about faith everywhere else in the world. A writer in the United Kingdom, someone many of you have heard of, C.S. Lewis, decided he would answer that assertion. And so he noted that this whole idea that God was somehow upstairs while we were downstairs, as if we were over here in this lower level, and God could be found if we would just go up and find him, you know, in the bonus room over the garage. That whole notion about the very nature of God was preposterous. God, after all, by his infinity, his eternity, is greater than the universe itself. He brought all things into existence. Everything continues to exist by his will, through his grace, and through his power and so all of us would be dependent on God making himself known to us. We wouldn't be able to search him out and then find him somewhere he wasn't. He would have to come and make himself known. The initiative would be completely his. C.S. Lewis, who was a professor of literature at Oxford University, said, this notion that you could go look for God and find him somewhere is the equivalent of suggesting that Hamlet could go looking for Shakespeare. Shakespeare, after all, had created Hamlet in the world in which that play was taking place. No, if Hamlet were to know anything about Shakespeare, Shakespeare would have to write himself into the play and come and introduce himself to him and tell him who he was. And in a way, that's exactly what has taken place, what we commemorate every year on this day. Here's how John's gospel puts it. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The seeker, the one who was searching, the one who was looking, not us, but God, came looking for us in our lostness to introduce himself to us, to rescue us, 
Many people who are familiar with his work think that Lewis probably got this idea about Shakespeare writing himself into the play from a friend of his named Dorothy Sayers. Now, a lot of you have heard of Lewis, but you may not have heard of Dorothy Sayers. Sayers was a fellow literary scholar with Tolkien and Lewis. She was the first woman to ever graduate from Oxford University. She was a remarkably gifted woman. She translated many works. She wrote several essays and books, including a whole series of detective novels in her spare time. She was described as tall and not a classic beauty, but everyone admired her. Her detective novels featured a British crime solver named Lord Peter Whimsey. Agatha Christie had Poirot. Dorothy Sayers had Lord Peter Whimsey. Going to the most dangerous place on the planet, English villages, where there are more murders if you watch PBS than any other place on the planet. And Peter Whimsey would go in and solve all of those mysterious crimes. But he was alone. This great Oxford scholar in the stories, Lord Peter Whimsey, as he went about his efforts, and there was a note of melancholy in the story as he did his expert work but was always alone. And so Dorothy Sayers invented a character to meet Peter Whimsey in the stories. The name of the character was Harriet Vane. And she is described in those stories as being tall, not a classic beauty, a scholar at Oxford, who writes detective novels in her spare time. <laughs> Sound familiar? Well, she wrote herself into the story. She saw the loneliness, the brokenness in the character she'd fashioned, and she came into the story to rescue him. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it is this mysterious, remarkable moment of God coming to us, searching for us who would not seek him, that is announced to those late shift shepherds on that hill outside Bethlehem by an angel. That night, 2,000 years ago, the angel arrives and speaks to those men surrounded by their flocks and says, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let's just consider that announcement for a few moments together this afternoon. I bring you good news. Thankfully, the angel did not say to the shepherds that night long ago, I bring you good advice. No, advice would be about something we do. Here are the, here are the uh, five points, shepherds, that you need to take on board. These are the seven steps to being a better shepherd. 
Or here are the four pathways from being a shepherd to becoming somebody wealthy and having your best life now. No, that's not what, that's not what the angel brought. He did not bring good advice. Religion always brings advice. Religion always brings demands. It says, if you will do this and this and this, then perhaps, maybe, if you do enough, you'll change. Self-help movements will do the same. But they say, any hope of transformation in your life rests with you. But we already know we cannot save ourselves. And religion will say, if you'll just do these things, then maybe, if you're good enough, then on the final day when you leave this life and you stand before God, God will look at you and will kind of weigh it all out and go, well, taken on the whole, you're not on the naughty list anymore, we'll let you in. It's resume building. It's imagining that somehow we could do enough to restore what's been broken within us that we could somehow bridge the chasm between God who created us and ourselves, a chasm we fashioned with our own rebelliousness against him, a chasm which is not just spatial, but moral, because we've sinned. And yet God does not leave us in our disaster. No, he, he comes to us. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here. It's why a few moments ago, as we sang rejoice, rejoice, we finished with that last stanza, nails, spear, shall pierce him through the cross he bore for me, for you. Why did he come? He came to bear the penalty for our sin, a penalty we richly deserved. Far from being able to do enough to rescue ourselves, God, seeing we could not, came and did all that was necessary. This is why it's called good news, not good advice. It's good news because good advice would be about what we're supposed to do. Good news says salvation doesn't depend on anything we've done, Good news announces that God has done everything that is necessary to save us and deliver us and restore us. He has done it. This truth that God has come to us to save us by taking our place, by dying for us, for bearing the penalty that was due to us, and then clothing us with the very righteousness, the perfect righteousness, which was his own, giving it to us as a free gift, animated the apostles of the New Testament. Paul would write in Romans, the wages of sin, here's what we earn, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. A gift freely, graciously bestowed on us who will receive it. He would later write that the Lord Jesus Christ, although he existed as God, did not regard equality with God as something to be held on to, but rather he emptied himself. 
took on the form of a bond slave and was made in the likeness of us. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Nails, spear shall pierce him through the cross. He bore for me, for you. You can't separate the cross from the cradle. If you ever do, then all you're left with at Christmas is just a sweet fairy tale, some sentimentality about a little baby. The cradle and the cross go together. Christmas Day and Good Friday are morning and evening of the same day that makes the world new. He's born to be our savior, to make each of us brand new. All who will put their trust in him. And that's why it says it's good news for all people. It wasn't just good news for the shepherds. They came and they saw Jesus and then they started telling everybody about it. And the people of the world have not stopped gossiping the gospel for 2,000 years. It's gone into the whole world. It's for all people everywhere. It's for Brazilians and Argentinians. It's for Cubans and Haitians and West Indians. It's for Americans. It's for Asians. It's for Europeans. It's for all people everywhere. It's for rich people and poor people. It's for white people and brown people. It's for all people everywhere. And the scriptures say that in heaven, People from every tribe and tongue and nation under heaven are gathered together around the throne with joy, worshiping Christ who gave his life. The shepherds did something shepherds never do, leaving their flocks. You never, if you're a good shepherd, leave your flock, but they did. They left their lambs to go over to the manger and see the lamb who takes away the sins of the whole world. What a weight he bore. He took it all upon himself. The weight of the sin of the world. It's all people. Imagine the burden that Jesus bore. There on the cross, taking my guilt, your guilt, my shame, your shame, the sins of the world, I mean, just the sin of this section over here would be a great deal. But Christ takes up the sins of everyone who will call upon his name in the whole world for all of time. And this means it's for you. It's for me. It's for everyone who will call upon the name of the Lord. Good news for all people. You may be sitting here this afternoon thinking, well, it's not for me. You don't know how bad I've been. Oh, look, I've been a pastor for 43 years. You're not going to tell me anything I haven't heard yet. You're bad, and I know it. And if you're not careful, you'll end up in next week's sermon, right? <laughs> no. We know we're bad. That's why we needed a Savior. You see, that's the rest of the text. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. The angel didn't show up and say, I bring you good news of great joy, for unto you is, is born a politician. Aren't you glad God didn't send a politician? Well, we need good politicians, that's for sure, but that wasn't going to solve. I, I, I am, God, ha, ha, good news of great joy, which will be to all the people, unto you is born 
a surgeon. Well, we all value our surgeons, all of the remarkable people working in the medical profession who care for us and tend us and help us. Thank God for them. But the problem is deeper than something. Well, well uh, good news of great joy. The Lord has sent to you a therapist. <laughs> well, well, yeah, we're broken. We are. And we need mending in our minds and in our hearts. But the need is deeper still. It isn't just physical. It isn't just psychological. It isn't just interpersonal and familial. No, the need is deeper still. A group of friends who brought one of their best friends to Jesus. He was paralyzed. And so they carried him to Christ. When they got to the service, it was so crowded in the room that they couldn't get in. They didn't have an overflow section. They went up on the roof and they ripped it open and they lowered him down on a mat to put him in front of Jesus. And of course, what they wanted was for Jesus to say, you're healed, get up, do a miracle. And that would be wonderful. But Jesus looked at that paralyzed man lying there in front of him and he said to him the most important words any human being can ever hear in their life. To hear Jesus say to you, my son, your sins are forgiven. It's the greatest message you can ever hear in your life. Your sins have been forgiven. Dear friends, Christ has paid the full price of this. And that means that when you and I put our trust in him, all of the shame, the weight of all of the guilt, everything is wiped away. It is completely banished. And you and I find ourselves reconciled to God and at peace with him, the peace that comes with the angelic announcement of his grace being upon you. I don't know who carried you here today. Some of you came willingly and probably some of you came grudgingly. And some of you like me when I was a kid were promised that if you just go and behave yourself, you'll get a present afterwards. <laughs> but here you are. And you're lowered down in front of Jesus and you need to hear him say to you, your sins are forgiven. That's why I came, a savior. My friend Michael Armentrout lives in Tennessee. He's a chaplain in a large prison. And he works with people in some of the most desperate situations you can imagine. We were talking a couple of weeks ago on the phone and he told me a story about a prisoner he was working with named Mr. Biggers. Mr. Biggers has been in prison for some 30 years and he's blind. And so Michael goes up into the medical unit where Mr. Biggers lives. He's kept up there because it wouldn't be safe for him as a blind man, to be with all the other prisoners. And so he's put up on the med unit. That med unit is not really for people who are sick. 
it's usually filled with people who are prisoners who have tried to take their lives. And so they are wearing what they call in the prison turtle shells. They're all wrapped up like this so that their arms can't move and their feet can't move and they have to hop around. Michael told me it's a little bit of hell on earth. And that's where Mr. Biggers lives. And Michael reads to him every week. Mr. Biggers loves to hear Michael read to him the story of Christ. And so a few weeks ago, they began reading through Luke's gospel. Luke chapter one, as Gabriel comes to Mary. Luke chapter two, as Jesus is born. They got to Luke three, where Jesus is baptized, and Luke chapter four, where Jesus preaches his very first message at a synagogue in Capernaum. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Michael's reading this to Mr. Biggers there in the jail. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty the prisoners and to free the oppressed. And he just stopped and he said, Mr. Biggers, you've got three out of four. You're poor and a prisoner and you're blind. The four, the four, three of the four kinds of people Jesus came for, you scored three boxes. That's amazing. Not many people can score three. Jesus came for you. And they kept reading Luke's gospel. And they got to the crucifixion. And Michael said to Mr. Biggers, hey, you know the rest of this story. Let's just talk about it. Was Jesus crucified alone? And he said, well, no, Mr. Biggers said he wasn't. Well, who was crucified with him? And he said, two prisoners, one on each side. And Michael said, well, what were they doing? And he said, well, one was cussing him out. But one said, when you come in your kingdom, remember me. And Michael said, that's right. He said, Mr. Biggers, do you think that man went to heaven? And he said, I do. And he said, did he go to heaven because of something good he'd done? Or is he there because of what Jesus did? And he said, well, he's there because of what Jesus did. And he said, Mr. Biggers, wouldn't you want to go to heaven too? And he said, I do. I do. And then Michael said to him, one of the most amazing things I think I've ever heard. He said, Mr. Biggers, you know, when you get to heaven, you're not gonna be a prisoner anymore. And you're not gonna be blind anymore. And you're not gonna be poor anymore. That'll all be changed. But let me tell you something, Mr. Biggers, that won't change that'll still be the same. What's that, he said. When you're in heaven and you're standing with everyone else who has faith in Jesus and you're worshiping, you won't be any more loved by God or accepted by God than you are right now in this prison.
He loves you. He comes to you where you are. The Lord who meets us where we are. The Lord who meets us in the degradation of the manger. In the scent of the manure all around him. Not in a pretty church building. Not in a great city. Not as a great general. But in weakness. The God who comes to us to save us. Meets us where we are. To make us as he is. And that starts with the cross and an empty tomb. Thousands of people have been born who became kings. But only once did a king become a baby. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, came to be our savior. And the only question before every single person in this church today is whether or not we can acknowledge ourselves to be as blind and bound as Mr. Biggers. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom. Are you poor enough this afternoon? Do you know the depth of your need enough to say, thank God, the angel said, Good news, not good advice. All people, not just some, a savior, because I need my sins forgiven. And if you know you need your sins forgiven and you know you need the savior, then don't leave today without receiving Christ, the gift of God for this broken world. And for you and me with our broken hearts. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, you have come to us. You are the author of the universe. And because you are love in humility, you have not left us in the darkness. But you have come to us, you, the one who is light and in whom there is no darkness at all. You have entered the spaces in our lives to save us when we could not save ourselves. And I pray for any and all who are here today who've never yet committed their lives to Christ, to receive Jesus Christ and his forgiveness, who've never yet heard him say to them, your sins are forgiven. I pray, Holy Spirit, open their hearts now so that they may hear you say that to them and they know that they belong to you forever. Thank you, Lord, that we could not search for you and find you, but you searched for us and found us. And having won us, we thank you that you will never let us go. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God for the gospel. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing Silent Night as we close our service together today.